following message is from North Place Church. For more information about North Place Church, visit northplacechurch.com. And so I want to talk to you theologically for a moment. And I, I want to warn you, when, when, when pastors start talking theologically, your attention spans kind of, you're not as excited about those things as I am usually. I understand that. I get that. But it's important for you to understand the theological conversation because in a moment I'm going to apply it practically. And the more you understand the theological conversation, the deeper the impact this is going to make in your life practically. So let me begin in Revelation 21. I'm going to go all the way to the end of the book. Revelation 21. Now give you a context as you find verse 5. Revelation 21 verse 5. Let me give you the context. We call John, the Apostle John, who wrote the book of Revelation, we call him John the Revelator. He was exiled because he preached the gospel. He was persecuted for his faith and then exiled for being a preacher of the gospel to this remote island uh, to, of Patmos. And while in his old age, somewhere near the age of 90, on the Isle of Patmos, Jesus appears to him in a vision and gives him a vision of some last day things we call apocalyptic literature. That's the book of Revelation. And basically, Jesus dictated to him what we read. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ as dictated to John the Revelator. And so Jesus is talking, John is writing, and in Revelation 21, John says, And he who was seated on the throne said, talking about Jesus, and this is what Jesus told him to write, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have his, this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. In verse 6 of Revelation 21, God identifies himself as the Alpha and the Omega. The Alpha is the first letter in the Greek alphabet. The Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. So in our culture, it would be as if Jesus was saying, John, write this down. I am the A and I am the Z. In other words, I am the beginning and I am the end. I am the first and I am the last. But the emphasis here in John's writing or Jesus' dictation is not on alphabets. He is speaking of reality. God is absolutely the beginning and absolutely the end. Everything that is originates ultimately in Him. And everything that is somehow will have its ultimate ending in Him. The prophet Isaiah says it like this, Isaiah 44, 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first, and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. In other words, since everything comes from God, and nothing will outlast God, God has no legitimate competitors. Besides me, there is no God. He has the first word, and the last word, in history. All other attempts to have the final word are going to fail because he will ultimately have time's last word. The pottery has no beginning apart from the potter. 
and it will only serve the end. The pottery will only serve the end and the purposes of the potter. Think about him for a moment being the alpha, the beginning. I know we think about this. I know we know the first few verses of the Bible. In the beginning, God created. We get that. We read that. But when's the last time you stop to ponder the depth of what that's really saying? In the beginning, God created, or just simply, in the beginning, God. So you get to the beginning, God is already there, which means he was there before the beginning of time as we knew it. In other words, he had no beginning. It's hard for us to get that around our minds that he had no beginning because he's always been. There has never been a time when he was not. The psalmist said in Psalm 90 verse 1 and 2, Lord, through all generations you have been our home. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from beginning to end, you are God. He had no beginning. But he is the beginning of all things. He will have no end, but in him all things have their ending. He is the first and last, that which was, that which is, and that which is to come. Those who spend enough time meditating on this reality about him will marvel that he is infinite, eternal, and unchanging in his justice and wisdom, power, goodness, and truth. But when you pause to think, he didn't develop into this. He did not become this. He didn't grow into this. His justice and wisdom and power and goodness are and have always been the eternal reality. God did not emerge from many different possibilities, but every possibility emerges from Him. He determines possibilities. He is not one single piece of reality that you can try to fit in with all the other pieces. He is the first and the last. He is the all-encompassing reality. This passage in Revelation mentions Him as the Alpha, the Beginning. But the context of the passage and the context of the whole book of Revelation, for that matter, is focusing on Jesus as the Omega, Jesus as the end of history as we know it. Listen to the passage again and notice how Jesus is the Omega, the ending for every person that has and will ever live. And for simplicity's sake, every person is divided up into two categories because every man, woman, boy, and girl will know Jesus as their Omega, their ending. But how you know him as your ending determine, is determined by what you decide to do with Jesus right now in your life. Listen to the passage again, Revelation 21 verse 5. And he who was seated on the throne, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers, the overcomer, in other words, the victor, will have this heritage or this inheritance, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. In other words, I'm going to be his inheritance. I'm going to be his reward. To the thirsty, I'm going to be a fountain of eternal life. To the overcomer, I'm going to be his eternal inheritance and his reward. Verse 8, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, the murderer, the sexually immoral, the sorcerer, idolater, all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. He will be the omega to the thirsty, an omega that is an eternal supply of living water. He will be the omega to the conqueror, the victor, the overcomer. He will be their omega, their internal inheritance and their eternal reward. On the other hand, he will also be the omega in a whole different way 
to a whole other group of people. For those who reject him and his ways, in their omega, in their end, he will be their judge and their right, his righteous judgment will allow them to enter the eternity of their choosing. God is a never-ending omega for every man, either as a fountain of eternal life or as a righteous judge. And we need to constantly remind ourselves over and over again that all of our lives will end in God. He is never out of reach for the thirsty. And though he may seem distant from the self-satisfied, he is only as far away as the mention of his name. Even though if you are self-satisfied today and God seems distant, from you, if there is no desire in your heart to change, there will become a moment in your life when he is very real to every man, every woman, every child. He will be gloriously real to the thirsty and terrifyingly real to the self-absorbed. He said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the fountain of eternal life for one, a lake of fire for the other. Life in this world is so serious because what you make of God here will determine how you meet the omega in your end. A true understanding of what it means for Jesus to be the alpha and the omega will shape the choices you make for eternity. But think with me for a moment about what that understanding means for you and I right now. What does it mean, practically speaking, For Jesus to be the Alpha and the Omega for my life today, right now, in this very moment. Let me answer that question by telling you a story. A story about a lady that became very special to me and to Haley and I. Her name was Beatrice Pointer. We affectionately, everybody that knew her and loved her, called her B. That's the way she was known around town. Uh, B was an African-American lady that attended our church in Pine Bluff. She was a beautician. Uh, had a, a owned her business and ran a, a beauty shop, uh, was very respected in the community. People loved her. Her beauty shop was kind of the place to hang out. And she was a godly woman. And you'll have to understand the context. The town that I pastored in in Pine Bluff was a predominantly African-American community. When I went there, it was a predominantly Caucasian church. B was one of the first leaders, respected people uh, in the African-American community to come make our church her home church. She crossed the color line, which was a difficult thing in a community where church in the African-American community is just as much part of being African-American. It's a part of the culture. And so it was a, a, a brave thing, if God was leading her to do this, that she did it, and she became for us what was a church mother. She became a church mother to me. She became a church mother to a lot of younger people in the community. Now, you have to understand, I'm B's pastor when I'm 26, I'm 27, I'm 28, a white kid in a predominantly African-American community trying to make inroads and take an all-white church and make it a reflection of the community that it is in. No longer be this, this piece of history trapped, but begin to reflect the community that we live in. And uh, I, I met a lot of resistance along the way, understandably so. But B grabbed me by the wrist and she said, this ain't right, Pastor. She said, I've been in churches all over this community. You're a man of God. I know you're young, and I know you're a scrawny little white boy, but you're a man of God, and you're my pastor. And she said, so I want you to come with me. And she began to take me around town, and she didn't introduce me as Pastor Brian. She said, this is my pastor. And she started introducing me to all of these people, and automatically, my credibility went through the roof. 
Bea endorsed me with her life, her service in our church. We developed a great relationship. She loved Haley and I. Haley and I learned to love her. And I, I consider Bea a pioneer. That church today is an adequate reflection of its community. It is the, it, the percentages of uh, diversity in that church reflect the community today. And I will be honest with you, I believe B was one of the reasons that that became the reality. And I got to let her, uh, I pastored her, but I got to let her help me come to an understanding of her culture and what it meant to pastor a diverse group of people. I remember the day B was diagnosed with cancer. It was a devastating moment for our community. It was a devastating moment for me. It was a devastating moment for her family. I watched B fight in prayer, fight in faith, fight with medicine. We went with her to Cancer Treatment Centers of America all over, to Tulsa, various places, and, and it prolonged her life. But at the end, I can remember uh, when Ernest, her husband, called me in. He said, Pastor, I don't know how much more time she has, and B would want you to be here. If this is it, just come be with her for a moment because I know she would want you to be here. So I went to their home and, and, and wanted to be by B's side. And when I walked in, Ernest was reading from the 118th Psalm. He wasn't finished yet, but, but he was reading it. And when I got there, not long after listening to him read one, Psalm 118, the doorbell rang and the family called Ernest to greet some of the new guests that had arrived. And he, he handed me her Bible and he said, here, pastor, finish this. And when you're done, read it. And when you read it again, read it again. Because Psalm 118 is her favorite passage of Scripture. She can't ask for it, but I know she wants it. And I know it'll mean a lot to her to hear it read in your voice. So over and over and over again, I read the psalm. Family members gathered around. And in those moments of reading Psalm 118, B breathed her last breath, stepped from this side into the other, and walked into the arms of Jesus. Tears were shed. Laughter was shed, praise was offered. I walked out of her home to my vehicle, never having looked at Psalm 118 so profoundly in all my life. I still didn't understand it, but I knew something deep inside my heart. I knew I had to preach on Psalm 118 at B's funeral. And I knew there was something in it that I didn't fully understand. So I went straight back to the office and I began to study Psalm 118 and its historical context and when I emerged from that season of study and preparation for B's funeral, I learned something about Psalm 118, something about God that has changed the way I look at God and changed the way I face circumstances and tragedy and heartache for the rest of my life. And I want us today to look at it together. Psalm 118, I want to begin in verse 1. It says, Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let all Israel repeat, his faithful love endures forever. Let Aaron's descendants, the priests, repeat, His faithful love endures forever. Let all who fear the Lord repeat, His faithful love endures forever. In my distress, I prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Yes, the Lord is for me. He will help me. I will look in triumph at those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. My enemies did their best to kill me, but the Lord rescued me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. Songs of joy and victory are sung in the camp of the godly. The strong right arm of the Lord has done glorious things. The strong right arm of the Lord is raised in triumph. The strong right arm of the Lord has done glorious things. I will not die. 
Instead, I will live to tell what the Lord has done. Open for me the gates where the righteous enter, and I will go in and thank the Lord. These gates lead to the presence of the Lord, and the godly enter there. I thank you for answering my prayer and giving me victory. The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is wonderful to see. This is the day the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Please, Lord, please save us. Please, Lord, please give us success. Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God shining upon us. Take the sacrifice and bind it with cords to the altar. You are my God and I will praise you. You are my God and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithfulness endures forever. Psalm 118 is the last psalm in what is known as the Hebrew Hallel. I want you to say that word because I want it to resonate with you. I don't want you to forget it. Everybody say the word together. Hallel. There are six hymns that are written in Psalms, Psalms 113, 114, 115, 116, 117, and 118. They make up the Hebrew Hallel. The word Hallel in the Hebrew simply means praise. But the actual singing of the Hallel is singing verbatim Psalm 113 through 118, all six hymns. They've been sung for hundreds of years by thousands of people, originally by Jewish worshipers on their way up to Jerusalem at the time of Passover. They were pilgrims on their way to worship, and as they ascended the hill into Jerusalem, they would sing as pilgrims headed to the temple the Hallel, 113 through 118 of the Psalms. They were singing their praise to God. Now, I want you to remember this. Notice that. That's happened hundreds of years before Jesus by thousands of people, and now we're at Jesus' life in the New Testament. Think about this historically. Jesus is at the Last Supper. It is Passover time. Thousands of people have gathered in Jerusalem. They have marched up the hill singing the Hallel. And when they sit down, as Jews would do to observe the Passover, during the course of the Passover meal, they would sing a different Hallel. Psalm 113 at one moment, Psalm 114 at another moment, all the way to the very last thing they would do is sing Psalm 118 as the benediction of the Passover meal. And they would walk out and leave. Now I want you to watch this. Matthew and Mark both write about the Last Supper and the way they conclude the context of the Last Supper right before Jesus finishes the Last Supper, the Passover meal, what we call the Last Supper that is the framework for our communion. Right as they finish that, they are headed. Jesus is on the way to the Mount of Olives where he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to begin his Passion Week, Suffering Week. Now notice this. Matthew 26, 30 says, about Jesus and his disciples at the Passover Last Supper. Then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. When Mark records this, he says the same thing, Mark 14, 26. Then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. Both passages about the Last Supper refer to the fact that Jesus was singing a hymn. The very last thing they did before finishing and leaving to the garden was singing this hymn, which would have been sung during the meal. 113, early in the meal, 1415, 116, 117, the last hymn that he would have been singing. When Matthew and Mark says he sang a hymn and went out, the last hymn they would have been singing verbatim would have been Psalm 118. The last words that would have come off of the lips of Jesus before he walked into the Garden of Gethsemane would have been the 118th Psalm, the last hymn in the Hallel. There is no wonder 
Beatrice Pointer receives such strength in these words in the last days of her life in the flesh. What better place to find comfort and strength than the very place that Jesus found strength in the last few hours of his life on this earth? In the hours immediately following the singing of the praise, the Hallel, immediately after the Last Supper, singing Psalm 118 at the Passover meal, Jesus faced the most difficult time of his life. The betrayal of Judas, the apathy of his disciples, their flight in fear from danger, Peter's denial. Jesus was flogged. He was beaten. He was insulted. He faced horrific despondency. There was a total miscarriage of justice, the torture of the crucifixion, the agony of bearing our sin and feeling forsaken by his own father. And yet Psalm 118 shows us that even though Jesus was all-knowing, which means he knew what was coming, he knew the battle that he was about to face, the hell on earth that he was about to go through, and even knowing that in his omniscience, he was still willing to sing the 118th Psalm as the last thing, as he concluded the Last Supper, he still sang these words repetitively, God is good and his love endures forever. In Gethsemane, Jesus attempted to gain comfort from his disciples, but they failed him. They couldn't stay awake, but he had just sung. He had just worshiped his father in the face of the greatest tragedy of his life. He had just sung verse 8, which says, It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. He had just sung verse 9, It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. You and I, we have great doctors and medical care providers that do their best. We have wonderful families that surround us to help us through tragedy. We have a wonderful nation, a great military, and for all the faults of this country, we live in the greatest place on earth, a lot of advances, a lot of modern science. We have a lot of things around you, and yet in the face of all of that, God has to remain our hope and our strength. We need to draw peace and help from each other as best we can, but we need to know that is a fragile peace. It is a limited peace. If we want a friend that sticks closer than a brother, someone that is going to last throughout eternity, we better anchor our souls to Jesus. When Jesus was surrounded by difficulty and death on every side, matter of fact, if you look at verse 10, 11, and 12 of, the, of, the, of Psalm 118, I mean, it's talking about enemies and nations rising, and death is on every side. He had just read those verses, and yet he sang in verse 12, the name of the Lord will cut them off. In the midst of his adversity, I can see him at the Last Supper and hear him singing verse 13, the Lord help me. I can hear him sing in verse 14, the Lord is my strength and my song. I can hear him sing in verse 14, the Lord's right hand is lifted high. I can hear him say in verse 17, I will not die but live to declare the works of the Father. I can hear him say in verse 19, I will enter the gates of righteousness. The last words from his lips before he left for Gethsemane were verse 29. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. He was reminding himself that even though in his right now present tense moment of his life, he was about to enter a battle for his life, literally a tragedy that can only be described as all that hell has to offer coming to earth. And even though he was surrounded by difficulty on every side, facing death toe to toe, eye to eye, there was a peace in his heart because he understood that his father was in his beginning and his father was going to 
to be there in his ending. He knew that his father was the bookend of his life. And while there may be chaos in the middle, if he could hold on to the father's hand in the face of all of the chaos, he would weather the storm, he would overcome because the father that was in the beginning was going to be there in the end. Now, go ahead. Come on, let's give God praise today. I want you to see this today. This is not a trick. It is not a gimmick. It is the way God made us. It is reality. Because He is a God that brings order out of chaos. I want you to read this. The phenomenal power of the human mind. I want you to read it. Take off. Start reading it. You can. Just just to yourself. You can read it. It's chaos. But you can read it. According to research at Cambridge University, it doesn't matter what order the letters in a word are. The only important thing is that the first and the last letter be in the right place. The rest can be a total mess, and you can still read it without a problem. This is because the human mind does not read every letter by itself, but the word as a whole. I want you to hear me. If you understand that he is your beginning and you know that he will be in your end, it doesn't matter what kind of chaos is in the present, you're going to make it. If you understand he is the Alpha and the Omega, the resurrection and the life, the first and the last, the A and the Z, it really doesn't matter what kind of chaos is going on right now. If he was your beginning and he was, and if he's going to be your end and he will, you can hold on to him in the middle of the chaos because nothing can separate you from the love of God. He is the bookend of your life and he brings order out of chaos. I believe the capacity to bring order out of chaos is exemplified in the reading of the statement. It's a gift he placed in us as his creation. It is a gift from God because it is a reflection of his nature to bring order out of chaos. It is his character to bring order out of chaos. He did it in creation and he can do it in your life. There's no denying what you just read. It's not a trick. It's not an illusion. It is a fact. We assume order even when it's not there. Disorder does not always stress us as long as the first and the last seem to be where they're supposed to be. Everything in the middle ultimately comes all all right. It's when things don't start right or when things don't end right that we find ourselves dislodged, distressed, and disoriented. You can survive a bad beginning and a good ending better than you can survive a good beginning and a bad ending. My father did that. He had a horrible beginning, but God changed his life in the end, and he finished well. A bad beginning, but a good ending. But I want you to compare that with the sudden unexpected tragedy that turns a good day into a bad one, like the phone call I received last night, or the doctor tells you it's cancer, or an expecting mother knows something's not right with the baby, or your spouse says one day, I'm leaving. Or the phone call that comes to inform you, the one you didn't ever want to get, that someone you love has something tragic has happened to them. Life has a way of throwing us curveballs. Tragic, unexpected, seemingly unbearable endings. There are times when my flesh 
My carnal mind, my human nature cannot grasp or bear the weight of the tragic endings that come the way in my life and the way of the people that I pastor. I know that we're supposed to walk by faith. I preach that. But honestly, there are times when it's easier for me to preach it than it is for me to live it. But today, I thank God for Jesus. Because when I look at his example, when his soul was in trouble, in the Gospel of John, he said, Now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? When we don't know what to say, our spirit can rise above the confusion, above the chaos in the middle. We find solace in the secret place, knowing that while the present doesn't seem right, that all the letters are there, but they're all jumbled up. But somewhere in the middle of the chaos, the first letter is alpha, and the last letter is omega. And because the first letter makes sense, and the last letter makes sense, all of the mess in the middle is ultimately going to straighten out. Whatever this is in your life did not take him by surprise. His watchful eye has taken notice of the injustice and he has promised to reward the righteous. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He is in control. Between the beginning and the end of our life, regardless of the times of confusion and disarray, he's put our life together like a book and he has chosen by his own grace to make order out of chaos and peace out of war. We often quote Psalm 23, that we walk through the valley of the shadow of death and our minds focus on the shadow and we focus on the death and we overlook the key word in that whole phrase, Through is the preposition there that you need to get in your mind. I'm not going to live in the shadow. I'm not going to live in death. I am going through the valley of the shadow of death. You are going through chaos. You are going through adversity. But because he is the beginning and he is the end, you are going through whatever it is in your life. If he is the beginning and he is the end, he is going to bring order out of chaos in your life. Come on, give him praise today. Receive what God is saying to you today. Listen to how Paul measured his adversities in Romans 8. Listen to this. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now think about that. Paul made a broad sweep. He talked about what was visible and invisible, what was on earth and what was in heaven. He mentioned tribulation, persecution, distress, famine, peril, and the sword. That wasn't enough. He, he, he wasn't through. He starts with death and goes through life and he rises up to include angels and principalities and powers and then he comes down to earth and speaks about things that are present and dips into the future and references things to come and he goes up for height and down for depth and just to make sure he hasn't overlooked anything, he says, nor can any other creature separate us from the love of God. Where I come from, we would say to that, you can't drown with your head that far above water. If God can bring order out of chaos, if he is the bookend of your life, he is the alpha and the omega, that which is, that which is to come, you will make it. I know somebody's thinking it, and it's right to be thinking. It's logical. 
Pastor, all this exciting talk about victory and conquering and overcoming and, and all that Jesus is, did you forget that your friend B, she lost her battle with cancer? She prayed Psalm 118 and 17. I will not die, but I will live to declare the works of the Lord. But she died. Let me say this to you, friend, about B and any other child of God that has fallen asleep in death whether it was caused by cancer or something else, they have lost nothing. You see, we have this idea that we are in the land of the living moving to the land of the dead. You got it backwards. We're in the land of the dying moving to the land of the living. In the very last moments of Jesus' life, he sang the Hallel, Psalm 118. He sang a hymn, and then he went out to face the battle. In the very last moments of B's life, she read with us the Hallel. She sang a hymn and went out to her battle. And she left the land of the dying, and she just started living after she sang Psalm 118. She didn't lose her battle with cancer, and we didn't lose her. Because you can't be lost if you know where you're going. She knew he was in her beginning. She knew beyond a shadow of a doubt he was in her end. She knew him as her alpha and her omega. The question is, do you? I don't know what your circumstance is, but there's, I know this for the child of God. There is a lot your circumstance, whether it be cancer or a house fire or whatever it is, there is a lot that it can do, but let me tell you what it cannot do. It cannot cripple love, shatter hope, corrode faith, eat away peace, destroy confidence, kill friendships, shut out memories, silence courage, invade the soul, reduce eternal life, quench the spirit, or lessen the power of the resurrection. He is the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in him, though they are dead, yet shall they live. The Alpha and the Omega. Today I want us to do something that is unique. I sprung something on this worship team last minute. It's my fault. I sprung it on them last minute this morning. I've been singing it in preparation for this message today. It's an, an African um, a song, a chorus that originated, I think, in Zimbabwe. It sings about Jesus being the Alpha and the Omega. The rhythm is a little different. It's a slow, worshipful song, but it's a powerful way to culminate this moment of praise and to turn what we've thought theologically to the practical side of applying Him, letting Him being the bookend, the first and the last, and bringing order out of the chaos that is in the middle of our life. I want you to sing it with me. Is, uh, I want you to stand with me first, but then I want us to sing it together. And, and while you may not know it, and the chorus and the way it, the, the rhythm is a little different, I believe you can get it pretty easy. And let's turn it into a moment of worship, calling on Him as the Alpha and the Omega of our life. Come on, learn this with the team. You are Alpha and Omega. We were 
Lord bless him today make yourself available today to serve this body. I believe with all of my heart something is stirring special in this place, in the lives of people. Listen, don't forget where we started today. Revelation 21, he's the Alpha and the Omega. The context is he's going to be every man, woman's Omega. The kind of Omega he will be in eternity determines, is determined by the choices about him we make now. If he's not the Lord of your life or you've wandered in your relationship with God, come back. There's a thirst that is stirring in your heart. He's always near to the thirsty. If he's distant, it's because we're sometimes self-absorbed. He's going to be the omega one way or another. Every man has their end in God. Today, I challenge you, choose Jesus and let him lavish his love and his mercy and his grace on you in ways that you cannot comprehend. Stand before God, blameless, covered. When we respond in just a moment to these altars, if you need the grace of God to cover sin, you need to come into relationship with Jesus. There is nothing these people would want more than to pray with you about that. If there is chaos in your life and you need a mountain moved, in your life. There is nothing we would desire more than to express our faith with yours and join our hearts together that God would begin to bring order out of the chaos in your life. They're going to continue to lead this song and keep an atmosphere of worship. And if you're like we were in the first service, some people didn't just want to leave. They, they just wanted to stay here. You're welcome to do that, to stay in worship. But I want you to know this. As I pray the blessing today over the end of the service, I want you to know if you need prayer or you need to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, this is the moment to come to let him be the bookends of your life and rest in his care in between. Father, I pray, Lord, even as I pray, I ask you, Lord, to open the door so that people begin to come, surrender their lives to Jesus, or they come in faith and pray with other believers that the mountain of chaos will be moved in their life. Lord, will you bring order out of chaos? I pray today, Lord, that you will bless them and keep them. You would make your face shine down upon them. That you would be gracious to them. That you would turn your countenance their direction today. That because you are the Alpha and the Omega, that you would give them peace today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. 
Thank you for listening to this message from North Place Church. Feel free to duplicate or to share this message. For more information about North Place Church, visit northplacechurch.com.